With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on Stick to Football, Connor is back from Euro Trip 2019. We're going to dive into NCAA making it harder to transfer if Alvin Kamara should lose the nose ring or not. We have the top five tight ends of all time. Matt Hayes is here to talk about his Florida State story and some kick-ass draft on draft questions. Uh, normally, I would throw it to Mello, but I'm tired of talking to him, quite frankly, because Connor decided to take two weeks and backpack across Europe. What are the highlights and lowlights, man? Did, anybody, did you get mugged? Did you get... Did you get just wasted anywhere? Did you find your future wife? What happened? Well, the good news is I, I didn't get married or mugged. So those two are, are absolutely gone. It was awesome. I mean, Florence in Italy was probably my favorite part. I definitely got wasted a little bit, you know, uh, too much, whether it was because you go to Italy and you're like, I'm going to drink all this wine and I can't wait. And then espresso and then more wine. And then you go up to Prague, which is Eastern Europe. And you're like, oh, beers are a dollar here. Like big, big, good beers, not like a PBR. Like, it's like you get a natty giant beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, holy shit, these are a dollar. Like, I could just drink 10 of these and eat. It, it was a lot. It was awesome. Uh, the break was really good. Matt, I'm a big fan of the new intro. I noticed that in the last Thanks, four man. episodes. Yeah. You do the today on Stick to Football. Sounds great. You guys held it down. I appreciate you letting me. Man, I was telling someone I hadn't been on vacation and like away from work, not like, just a way away so it was a nice break i'm really excited now to be back i I really missed doing the show i felt like a piece of me was missing especially i was telling you guys i bulk caught up on the episode so when i opened my phone and like four auto downloaded i got i really got sad for a little bit for a while and I'm, i'm just happy to be back yeah we're happy to have you back today's show is going to be a fun one uh the matt hayes interview we we did it right before we started recording here it's really really insightful but As we told you on the Wednesday morning show, BR Gridiron officially launched. And I actually think it's awesome. And yes, I'm paid to say that, but this paid endorsement is actually honest. (laughs) I actually think it's great. (laughs) No, I really do think it's great. Like I've been, I've had fun interacting with the account. Like they've been posting a lot of like pick one, which I love those things. Like here's five players, pick one for there's like, you got to rush, get a rushing touchdown of the one yard line. Who are you going to pick? And it's like, you know, pick one of these quarterbacks to start things with. And they didn't put Mahomes on there. You know, like stuff like that is a lot of fun. So make sure you check it out. It's at BR Gridiron on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you definitely want to want to check that out. Also, something new we are trying on the stick to football account. I'm calling it question of the day until we come up with a better name for it. Today's question of the day. Tweet us your answer or leave it as your your iTunes five star review. Which host myself, Mello or Connor, would you like to party with for one night? So it's one night. We're not going to become best friends. We're not become roommates. You get me. For 12 hours. <laughs> Which one of us? And I've already disqualified myself. Yeah, right? Which one oh, of, who would you want to have? sound like a great time. Yeah, We're yeah. not going to be best friends. You you're get me for 12 parties. hours, yeah. then fuck you. You're gone. Right. And you're out I here. did like the question that you posed. Yeah, the question's a good one. Let us know who you would pick. There will be no hurt feelings. But if you could give reasons why, that would that would definitely help settle any arguments. Some of, them were, some of them were great. They were so... Uh, the strategies behind them were awesome. Like, I saw a lot of people picking Matt because... They think he'll uh, he'll have the best endurance. Like they'll get the drunkest with Matt. And I saw a lot of people saying the same for Mello. A lot of people put a lot of strategy into it. So those are going to be a lot of fun, and we got to keep doing them. The only real and strategy. I wouldn't pick myself right now. I mean, I'm coming off oh, like a ten true. day bender, <laughs> a ten day bender across the seas, where like I like I ate pizza and drank wine and beer so much that I just need to like put myself into a hibernation. I'll be back in a couple of days. I mean, it sounds like you've just been living like we have for the last three years. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, true. I'll tell you. Fair I enough. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I do think I'm the obvious answer for this question because I'll guarantee like words that you've never heard come out of my mouth are like, well, I think I'm ready to go home now. 
That's true. Like, it doesn't happen. I will stay out with you all night long. Yeah. I, I guarantee I can drink the most. You guys might be able to beat me in the sticky chug or whatever else. When you're talking quantity, I, I'm your guy. You are absolutely our guy. Let's get into some of the news. The NCAA, now that everyone has transferred, they're going to make it harder to transfer. So they waited for Justin Fields and Tate Martell to get through. Now they're going to say you can't transfer. I think that this is just the NCAA, and I feel like we're really hitting them pretty hard this week. They're just so out of touch with their own sport. They have no idea how to run anything. Like They come out and they say that they're going to make it harder for people to transfer. I think it was pretty damn hard to transfer anyway. All they did was open up a transfer portal that allowed people to put their names in there. If you're not one of these four or five-star recruit quarterbacks, it was very difficult for you to get that immediate plane. If you're not Tate Martell or Justin Fields, those are the only situations where it should have been harder for you to transfer. So I really don't understand why they're coming out and saying this. I, I don't remember his name, and I should have looked it up, but I know there was a player who was moving closer to home. I think his name was Cody Ford, and he wanted to go back to Illinois, and they denied him the ability to play immediately, and I don't know why. He's moving closer to his family. Uh, he had a sick relative. I don't know why he can't get that immediate playing time. But you get a guy like Tate Martell, whose coach made a mistake that really didn't even affect him at all. Or you get Justin Fields, who there was rumors of some things happening with a baseball player. You let those guys play immediately, but not the other players. I don't think you need to make it harder if you're the NCAA. I think you have to make it fair. Here's my take with the NCAA. They are consistent. And when I say that, whatever the right, smart, human choice is, they do the opposite every (laughs) single time. Every single time it's like, oh, well, this is the good thing to do for not even like not even grown men that are in a professional. These are college kids and they always find a way to make their lives more difficult. Yeah, it's uh, I'm going to go out and and quote my guys from the program, the NC double assholes. That's what they are here. I mean, it's it's remarkable just how dumb they can be that, like you said, it's oh, this is obvious. Oh, Oh, let's make it harder for everybody. Yeah, they finally do something right with the transfer portal, and they're making it easier for these kids to transfer. And then they just start deciding willy-nilly who gets to go play immediately. I don't understand their thought process behind that. I don't even know if really the people there understand their thought process. Yeah, it is pretty pretty uh, disheartening. Alva Kamara, speaking of just crazy stuff that happened, uh, in an interview, it came out that a team asked him in pre-draft interviews if he would take his nose ring out. Now, he has like the, I I don't know if you would call it like a bull ring. I think that's what he calls it. Um, But, you know, it's like a nostril ring, and it's a big, thick one. It's not like the little cute one that your girlfriend had in college. Like, it's it's pretty good size. But a team asked him to take it out, and he actually did something I think a lot of players would be afraid to do. He said no. Yeah. He said, you, like, like it or leave it, because I'm not taking it out. You cannot draft me. I don't care. Maybe that is one of the reasons we saw him fall you know, later in the draft, because he did have all the ability. But you know what? I'll guarantee that team is regretting it right now. Oh, and God. the Saints aren't saying, like, no, man, I, I really wish that we would have let this guy fall or you know, make him take out the nose ring. I guarantee they're happy with him. Generally, teams that uh, scout the uh, most poorly are the ones that care about shit that just doesn't matter. Yep. Like, it just doesn't matter. You talk about the guy's nose ring, and that has couldn't have less of an effect on the field. And then you look at cultures like the Saints, the Rams really come to mind for me, where you get into that locker room, and they just let you be who you are, and that's how you get the most production out of guys on and off the field. So it's just funny to me. It was an interesting story. I really liked Kamara's response because – we generally, especially in the scouting business, have seen such a world where everybody goes to the combine or interviews at the senior bowl very, very uptight. And he's somebody that just believed in his talent and himself and said, listen, if, if you don't, that's part of the package. If you don't like that about me, then I'm not the right fit to be your employee. So good for him for basically saying fuck off. Yeah, and we've had him on the show before. That's just how he is. Like that's just As, I, mean, I love that about yeah. him. It's like who leaves Alabama? Well, he did. You know, it's like, oh fuck it, I'll go to Tennessee. No problem with that. So I love Kamara. Uh let's shift gears a little bit. Tyree Kill, we talked about him on the Wednesday show. What's gonna happen? We we knew the NFL was gonna meet with him. Well, apparently they met with him today, Wednesday, for eight hours. Or excuse me, it was yesterday. For eight hours they met with Tyree Kill. It's like jury duty. Right. And nothing has come out yet. But I will tell you, I got a text this afternoon and it was like, be on the lookout because news could be breaking. And 
I don't know how much stock to put. Like rumors this time of year are so hard because like no one's in the building. But there are a lot of people in Kansas City who I know were excited initially about this. Like they think it's not going to be that bad. Not that bad. I don't know not, how many not games Kareem that means. Hunt bad. Right. And I think this is probably going to be your typical Friday news dump by the NFL. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast today, like you probably already have that information or it's going to come out very soon. Like we said before, I'm expecting about four games for the suspension. Yeah. I mean, there's just not much. I, we'll see. It, it's going to be really interesting. I think he's going to play a lot of this season. I think it went from seeming like, hey, he he might be you know out for eight to 12 games and it just doesn't really feel like that's going to be the case anymore. Yeah, it really doesn't. So we're watching it. Uh, if it if it comes out, you might get a, an emergency episode. <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Uh, before we go to break, I want to talk about Matt Hayes' story. It's, again, not just being a company man here. I think he did a great job. And, and I will tell you that it is very, very rare to get someone to go on record in this day and age to talk about things because people are so afraid of backlash. He got Florida State's athletic director to go on record talking shit about Jimbo Fisher. So you're going to want to read it. You're going to want to hear the interview. It's playing right when we get back. We are excited and honored to be joined by another Matt. And you know if a guy's name is Matt and he works at Bleach Report, he's pretty fucking cool. We have Matt Hayes, one of the best college football writers in America. Matt, welcome to Stick to Football, dude. Hey, it's my pleasure. How y'all doing? Good, man. Good. You just dropped a story that I'm sure uh, FSU Twitter, hashtag FSU Twitter, is how are they responding to this? Because they are the most... Uh, aggressive, I think, of all the college football Twitters. Have they been pretty cool, or are they like, why are you doing this right now, basically? Aggr- aggressive, huh? That's an interesting way to put it. I dialed it back, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't... I don't. I, I think that it's, it's all kind of like, wow. I think a lot of them thought some of this stuff, and then to see it and to see the athletic director of Florida State basically come out and say, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, I, I think it's all kind of uh, mind-numbing to, to a lot of them because, I mean, let's face it, it's a proud program, man. They, they've won a lot of championships. They've won a lot of big games. Um, you know, they got the legendary, you know, statue of Bobby Bowden outside the stadium. Um, you know, it's it, Jimbo did great things there. And, and, and so it, it's hard, I think, for fans to see how something so good can just wither away so quickly. And, and yeah, that's probably the hardest part for fans, I think. And you did speak about the AD speaking to you. How cool was it to have him be so upfront and honest with you for the piece that you did? Matt, it's unbelievably rare. Unbelievably rare in this day and age where you're talking about an athletic director at a Power 5 program, not only a Power 5 program, but a top 10, top 15 program with the history and tradition that they have of winning at Florida State. He could have very easily just said, you know what, We're, we're moving forward. We're not going to talk about Jimbo. We're just going to talk about Willie and Willie's our guy. And, and you know, I, I, I think, you know, he didn't tell me this, but my idea, my guess would be that he and John Thrasher, the president of Florida State, and these guys have worked together for three decades in Florida politics. Um, and, and Thrasher hired him, you know, as his chief of staff when he went to Florida State to be the president and then eventually made him interim AD and then made him full-time AD. Um, so these guys know each other well. They know how each other works. Um, my idea was, you know, look, he's probably saying this because that's how John Thrasher thinks. And, and he's not going to pull punches. John Thrasher is a guy here in the state of Florida. He's always been known as a guy who does not pull punches. He's going to tell you the way he thinks. And, and you know, I came right out and asked him the question, look, this is what I've heard, A, B, C, D, and E. And he came right back at it. I mean, when, when he said, you know, I said, you know, Florida State fans are really upset about the 36-year bull streak being snapped. When he said... You know, we were five and six when Jimbo pulled the ripcord. I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a good interview, man. This is going to be good. And, and he's right. That's the whole thing is he's right. Because if, you, if you're if you looking at the year before, but for Florida State buying a useless game against Louisiana Monroe and getting the six and six, that bowl streak that everybody always talks about would have been snapped under Jimbo. Matt, I think for me, when I when I finished reading the story, one of the more impressive things was you'd clearly talk to so many different people that are not only around the program to this day, but people that were around the program when Jimbo was there. And there was kind of a universal thought of how it came crashing down and what went wrong. And a lot of those people aren't willing to go on the record. And a lot of them in this story, which, which made it awesome as they were. But what was the response like after you released the story and you hear from people 
that weren't interested in being a part of it, of it, if any, was there anyone that was like, yeah, that's, that was going on for a while or wow. I didn't, I didn't think that. What was that response like? There were two people and I'm not going to name names, but there were two people. One of them literally was just one, one word text bingo. Wow. And, and, and another guy just, just wrote me a quick note saying, saying you absolutely nailed it, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, and again, I, I kind of want to stress this too, Matt. It, it's, this is not unique to Florida State. It's not unique to Jimbo Fisher. This is what happens now when you've got coaches that stay a long time at a university. In this era, in this, this social media era that we have now, where the human condition is just magnified to 1,000 times, it, the, biggest, the biggest job they have now as coaches is dealing with players off the field, dealing with issues, uh, making sure they can motivate them every day, not only for practice, not only for games, I should say, but for practice, for something as simple as practice. They've got to be motivated. They've got to be ready to go. That's the biggest job for coaches right now is, is dealing with all this nonsense outside their little bubble. You know, in years past, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago, it was all about everything's in my bubble and I can control my bubble. And now there's holes all over that bubble. And it's all because of social media. And they, it's hard for them to control. And, and you get to the point where you've been in some place for a decade and more where Jimbo was because you've you got to remember, he was there as the offensive coordinator coach and waiting with Bobby. You know, you, people start, the players start to hear the same message over and over. And they don't listen at some point. And, and, you know, and then you start compounding those problems by playing favorites. And he clearly played favorites and coddled Jim, Jameis Winston. No doubt about that. You know, players see that and players feed off that. And they understand, hey, well, if James can do that, then I'm going to push him and I'm going to see how far I can go. And then other players who can't push him, then they're better. And then a locker becomes fractured and then there's all kind of problems you're dealing with. Now, Matt, as plugged in as you are to college football, do you think that makes it more likely that we could see guys jump to the NFL? I know Cliff Kingsbury made the jump because he was fired, but it sounds a little bit more appealing, which I always thought the college gig sounded better. Like, you know, Steve Spurrier used to always talk about, you'd be the coach at college, you could still go golf a lot. Like, it's pretty laid back. It's not as many hours as the NFL, and you, you have the roster turnover where you can maybe win quickly. Do you you think guys like Lincoln Riley, I, I don't know if we'll ever see Dabo go to the NFL, but, but they're definitely Ryan Day and, and Lincoln Riley are two of the big names. Uh, Chris Peterson, you know Fitzgerald up at Northwestern. Could you see any of those guys make that jump just because of some of the frustrations you talked about? Well, let, we'll go over those guys real quick. Fitzgerald, no way. Chris Pete, no way. I mean, a big <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I think Lincoln is intrigued by the NFL because he's he's a, such a football guy, but he loves it in Norman. Loves it. I, I think it's very similar to Stoops. Stoops was very intrigued by the NFL, but he was so happy and he enjoyed his life in Norman so much that he never left. I think you might see the same thing with Lincoln. And I, I don't know that, that, you know, the previous issues we talked about at Florida state. And again, they're not unique to Florida state. I, I don't know that that would convince guys that they got to go to the NFL or they need to go to the NFL to get away from that. It might convince them that I need to get out of this specific program and go to another program. I can definitely see that. But, but I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you're going to see a rash of guys leaving to go try in the NFL. It- Sticking with these guys in college football, last year Taggart struggled, didn't make the bowl, obviously, and a lot of people were calling for his head. How long do you think that Florida State realistically gives this guy to kind of turn around that program? Uh, I mean, I think they're absolutely they're they're sold on him. They think he's their guy. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I can't even imagine I can't imagine anything this year for them to say, yeah, he's gone. I can't. I don't care what happens. Um, and, and I mean, unless something obviously away from the field that's NCAA related and stuff like that. I just don't see it. I think they're in it for the long haul with Willie. I think they, they think that Willie Taggart is a guy that can win there. They think he's a guy that's going to build it as they, how they say the right way. Um, you know, in their words, he's going to build it the right way and, and, and they're going to go back. They'll be back to winning championships again. It's, you know, it's different now because, you know, before when, when, when Jimbo was there, they were kind of like, it was them it was, the ACC was Florida State and the 13 Dwarves, you know? And now it's, it's a little different now. Now you've got Big Bad Clemson. And Big Bad Clemson isn't going anywhere. So so I, I, it's it's certainly a more of an uphill climb for Florida State than it would have been prior. But, yeah, I, I truly believe they're convinced of him. After all the research and writing of this story, did did you come away with the feeling that Texas A&M uh, you know, might be in trouble with Jimbo, that some of the bad habits – that plagued him in Florida State at the end there might carry over or not really? I, I can tell you this. Um, 
first thing I would say is Jim was a fantastic coach. There's no doubt about that. He's a terrific coach. You want to talk about a guy in the NFL? I think he would do well in the NFL. Um, but but I, I think I kind of liken what happened at Florida State to what happened at Florida with Urban Meyer, where the locker room got away from him, where players got away from him. Um, you know, and then he suddenly got sick. Jimbo didn't suddenly get sick. Jimbo just suddenly saw a seventy-five million offer from somebody else and said, "All right, I'm out." Um, you know, and then Urban naturally was unsick ten months later when Ohio when the Ohio State job came open. Um, which, oh by the way, Urban's going to be unsick again in about five or six months. <laughs> oh yeah, six months. months. <laughs> the USC job comes open. We've oh, said no. that a lot. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone who's anyone who even like remotely watches college football a little bit knows, oh yeah, that guy's going to be coaching USC next year. Um, I, you know, I, I liken it to that because I, I think you, you get to the point where, like I said earlier, man, guys just stop listening to the same message over and over, especially when they're successful, because then you get this this idea in the locker room of, oh, yeah, well, they did it before. We can do it, too. We'll just walk in here and do it. And, you know, guys don't go in and they don't work as hard. They just try, they just try to work it out on talent alone and talent alone for the most part, is not going to win you games that mean something in the fourth quarter, you know? Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I love your your nugget there about Urban because that is something we've talked about a lot. Like, oh, he'll be he'll be fine, and when that USC job comes open, uh, you you talk a lot in your story about Jameis Winston, and I, I feel like a person could write a very good book, even about, and maybe you're the guy who's going to do it about the Jameis Winston time at Florida State because there's just there's so much that went untold. Did did Jameis or have any of his people reached out to you more than to say no comment about this story? Because I even know in my experiences about evaluating him as a draft prospect and then as a player, they were very quick to to kind of shoot back when anytime you got critical about him. Well, first off, you'll love this whole this whole situation. Okay, I, I almost tried to get Jameis as long as I tried to get um, Jimbo. I tried to get Jimbo for almost three months, and finally had to like track him down. I was coming back from a Steve Clarkson's quarterback camp in LA, and I told my editor at Bleacher Report, I said, Look, I'm just going to fly into Destin and I'm going to go to the SEC spring meeting and I'm just going to sit there and wait for him. I so I could get him. So that's what I did. And he, you know, he gave his no comment and we left Florida State in good place, blah, blah, blah. But as far as Jameis, as far as Jameis, I initially reached out to the Bucks, okay? And the Bucks guy, first guy is not there. Second guy calls me back. I think the second guy was like the head of communications. First guy was like the, the guy that set up interviews and stuff. And he, he calls me and I, I can't remember his name. We started talking and, uh, he says, so I told him what the story was. And I said, I want to see Jim, if Jameis wanted to respond. And his response wasn't, look, I'll talk to Jameis, see what, what, you know, you know, what he says. His first response was, wait, so you're trying to tell me a guy who was 27 and one as a quarterback at Florida state was a problem in the locker room. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, and I, he said that and I said, I said, look, man, I'm just trying to give him an opportunity to respond. Does he want to or not? And he said, "Well, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, let me get, let me get with him." So, like, you know, a week passes, and then I finally get an email from the guy, and he says, uh, "This is James's PR company, and it's, it's, it's called EAG, EAG uh, publicity or something like that." It's, it's interesting when you look on their website. It's, uh, you know, it talks about public relations, and uh, and and um, two of the one of the, one of the, one part of the definition says. Crisis management. I'm thinking, yeah, this is good. <laughs> oh Perfect. yeah, that's fitting. <laughs> so, so, so I finally get a hold of the of the of the woman who runs the company, and she calls me back, and you know, same thing as the Bucks guy. You know, well, what do you mean? How, how, you know, how could a guy that did so much of that university be blah blah blah? And I was like, look, look, this is what I have. Former assistant coaches telling me, I wanted to see if he wants to respond. That's it. I mean, I wasn't going to play their game because that's that's what they want to do. Their job is to get in your head and say, no, you're doing the wrong thing, try and spin the story their way. And she was having none of that. She would not, she just would not allow me to just say, look, I want, just does he want to respond or not? So we're going back and forth on email. I'm, in, I'm on vacation in, in North Georgia mountains. I'm getting no service on my phone. So I can't get emails, can't get phone calls. I'm missing phone calls from her. I finally get out of there. I talk to her and she's like, I, I just need to know what, what, you know what the story's about, more and more about what the story's about. And I said, I told you what it's about. This is what it's about. This is the part with Jameson. It does or does he not want to respond? And and finally, the day before it ran, I sent her an email. And I said, look, this is it. It's, you know, this is the last chance to respond. Does he want to respond? I never heard back from her. And then it's funny. I looked on her Twitter account because, oh, by the way, let me tell you this real quick. 
She also also represents LeVar Ball. That means anything. Right? <laughs> oh, good <laughs> God. She's a busy lady. She, she's very busy. <laughs> she, sent out this, she sent out this tweet after LeVar, LeVar Ball's just wildly inappropriate comment on ESPN. That is, in no way was it sexually suggestive. He was simply saying, blah, blah. Come on. Oh. Right. So, so then I go, so I go to her Twitter account because I was thinking, I wonder what she said. And literally, her Twitter, her name is Denise White. You guys can look at her Twitter right now. I was going to ask. Literally, <laughs> there's like six straight things of Jameis Winston helping kids out of camp. Jameis Winston doing this with young kids out of camp. It's six straight tweets about it. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It, it's this is the story. This is what was said. She didn't have him respond. You know. And how much of this whole mess could have been avoided if Jimbo Fisher just stops Jameis Winston, the game that he was supposed to be suspended, he comes out and he's warming up. If Jimbo just suspends him, two, three weeks, you don't come back. Do you think Jimbo's still at Florida State, or do you think that this was just something that was going to eventually happen, if not with Jameis, with another player? Uh, I, would, I would probably say the latter more than the former, although I will say all, all three of those assistants said, look, that was it. That was the turning point, you know. You know, one of them said, you know, you saw in the story, one of them said, look, he should have walked up to him and said, get the fuck off my field. Get out of the locker room. I don't want to see you for two weeks. I don't want to see you for a month. And he said, you know, and I didn't, I didn't put the rest of the quote in there because at some point you can't write a 5,000 word story. But he said, he said, you know, we could have won five or six of those games while he suspended for a month. We could have won all five of those games. We were that much better than everybody else. But he didn't do it. You know, he didn't do it because he was worried about Jimbo, uh, Jameis leaving the team. And that's, you know, that's kind of when you you start then to be controlled by elite players. You just can't do that. Yeah, and that goes back to another part of the story now, their quarterback situation over the last couple of years. It's been rough. And looking ahead, you know, back to Willie Taggart here, you were around the program a lot recently. Did you get, you know, kind of a feel of how, what they view is a successful year for him in year two, whether it is getting back to the bowl game or a certain amount of wins? I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I truly believe that Willie thinks he's already won because he's got guys believing right now. Because last year, nobody was buying in. Nobody was believing. Uh, I shouldn't say nobody. A majority of the team, majority, majority of, uh, of the guys there, it was hard for him. Really, really hard. And, and I don't want to say the whole team because they're, some of their players, like their elite players, like Cam Akers and Samuels, those guys, they're in, you know, but, but if you don't have everybody in or close to everybody in, and it's going to be a long, long year, especially when you have a quarterback who just, just doesn't get it. And, and, and when your offensive staff is misfit and they're fighting amongst themselves and the players are fighting amongst themselves. And, you know, so I, I, I truly believe that we're just thinking, all right, look, everybody's bought in right now in spring. We're all happy. We know we the expectations. We've got a new offensive staff. We've got an offensive coordinator. You know, we're on a roll right now. I, I truly believe that he's at the point now where he thinks, look, anything after this is great because it was that bad. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And we could spend another 30 minutes with you talking about the offensive coordinator he hired and, and what backlash there will be from that. But uh, we appreciate your time, dude. Everyone go check this story out. It's in the Bleacher Report app uh, talking about kind of the downfall. Like you said, Jimbo pulling the ripcord and the mess that Willie Taggart inherited from an academic stand, academic standpoint, from an entitlement standpoint. So it's really a, a cool look behind the scenes of college football. Matt, we appreciate your time, man. You're welcome back on Stick to Football uh, whenever you've got another big story coming and, and as well as I know you, that will not be long. All right. Thanks, Charles. My, uh, it's my pleasure. Anytime, right? Thanks, Matt. The top five lists continue, and we appreciate you guys because you kind of got us started on this trend. We've done quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. We're going to keep it going. Top five tight ends, and no, we're not talking about mine. Yes, I've been working out. Talking about the guys that play football. And I'm not doing offensive linemen. I think Connor is <laughs> going to go with me here on this one. I'll do it. I'm not doing top oh, five. Oh, no shot. Linemen. I don't. So behind the scenes, basically we have a text group and I won't say the name of it between <laughs> me, Matt and Mello. And it does have a great, great name. We'll see if anyone can crack that code one day, but we talk almost every day. And when we have a show, we talk for hours and we were sitting there and like, I missed the top fives and they were awesome. And, uh, it was like tight end or O line. And Mello and I were like, we're not fucking doing <laughs> off. No offense. Offensive line get really upset about that, and it's no offense. I just don't think it would be a good podcast. I'm, I'll do a stick to football short that is just me giving you my yes. top five linemen yes. all time. And then you're gonna have a daily, like, <laughs> yeah, positional value of like a guard versus a tackle, and then 
sinners I, included. I got a little in there. free time right now. God, yeah, I don't, so. I don't want to touch it. People are already getting pissed yeah, off same. enough. I'll use it elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Let's look at the top five tight ends of all time. There are a lot of good ones. Like the receiver position, there is a bit of a recency bias when it comes to numbers. I want to start at number five and work to number one because I think there's a good amount of debate within this group. Number five for me. Shannon Sharp. Uh, I do feel like that he was someone who gets credit for changing the position in some ways. You know, he was one of the first of the, the super athletic tight ends. Um, he also looked like, I, I don't know what they tested for back in the day. My man was ripped. He still he is. was just cut. No body fat. But his production with John Elway was incredible. Uh, really starting in that 1992 season, he started to break out and had a, a really good run in his career. Never led the NFL in any single statistical category, but I think one of the all-time greats, 14 years in the NFL, um, was able to catch uh, 815 balls, went over 10,000 yards, 82 touchdowns. So for me, Shannon Sharp gets credit, not just for the numbers and the Super Bowl wins, but for what he meant to the position. Yeah, I really like that one too. And Matt, I do thank you for telling me we're going 5-1 to one this week. <laughs> Got you. I wanted to get a guy on my list, and I know that maybe he's not – Supposed to be top five, but I don't think the tight end position is the same without John Mackey, who was like the first of the go-to tight ends. And he was also an elite level blocker. And if you are the best tight end in college football, you get the John Mackey award. There's a reason why it's named after this guy. So I did want to make sure that we give him some love. I know that there are probably four other tight ends that should be ahead of him at least, but I wanted to get him on here and I left off one very big, obvious one that's going to piss people off, uh, but I'll get to that later. And I'm with Matt here. I think Shannon Sharp rounds out this group. He's right at number five. When you look at what he's one of those players, I actually remember, you know, obviously being a little kid watching play and he, he could dominate the game. The production was there over 60 touchdowns, over 800 catches, over 10,000 yards. And you look at him, such an interesting player because he's, a rare undersized kind of guy at the time at that position, but just a phenomenal player that could really do everything. And I think he's also one of those awesome underdog stories. I mean, this is somebody that was drafted 192nd overall. He was not somebody taken in the first couple of rounds and expected to be a star. So at three Super Bowls, Shannon Sharp, one of the best of all time. And that's, Connor, that's why I have him at number four. And I tweeted out on Thursday afternoon. It was just a blind resume, tight end one, tight end two. That's how I decided who was going to be the fourth tight end on my list. And Shannon Sharp won the poll. And it is based off largely production because the guy did have, you know, 800 catches, 10,000 yards, 65 touchdowns, and a very good career with longevity. He also won three Super Bowl rings and was always on good competitive teams. That's why I have him at number four. And I did leave off Gronkowski. That was the other guy on my poll. It was Shannon Sharp versus Gronkowski. Gronkowski. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> but I think that Shannon Sharp probably had the better career. And I know that Twitter and everyone is going to hate me for it. But I left Gronk off my list. That's a bold move. I uh, didn't do that. <laughs> uh, number four for me, for Mello, was Shannon Sharp. For me, it's Antonio Gates. Did you guys know he played basketball in college? Yeah, I thought I heard no that before. Does not get talked about enough. He played basketball at Kent State, and yet he still plays in the NFL. I mean, toyed with some retirement, but he's still out there. He is five catches away, I think, from, or no, excuse me, 45 catches away from 1,000 for his career. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, or should be. Uh, the dude is an eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro Twice he was second team all pro. He was part of the, the NFL all decade team. Just a really, really amazing player at the position who I think was like the, the if you go from Shannon Sharp to Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates is like next in that line of people who moved the position along. Man, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's crazy at all. And he we'll get to him on my list. And I have a lot of the same reasons as you. Number four for me, this is tough because you can really make the argument for him in the top three. Jason Witten. Talk about a career that, I mean, he's, he's still playing now. He's back. I was going to say the longevity <laughs> of the career, but it, it, ain't over. it has a re it has a resurrection here. 68 touchdowns, you know, the kind of blocker he is, how reliable he was. That's what's amazing. You look back, really going back to 2004 through 2017, he plays every game. And that's the guy's on the field every game. The leader he is, it, just a do-it-all kind of player. Like I said, I have him at number four because I think the next three are truly special and each change the game in their own way. 
but I, I could see why someone would have Witten higher. What an incredible, incredible career. Yeah, and so number three, I have Jason Witten at number three. Like you said, just an incredible career when you look at, I mean, he's fourth all-time NFL receptions. Fourth, like that's incredible. And yes, he sucked as an announcer, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about him as a football player. And he is the probably the most reliable pass catcher at tight end that I've ever seen. Not the fastest, not the most explosive. You know, it's he, he's like Gronk before Gronk was Gronk. You know, I mean, just always open, always dependable over the middle of the field. So good in traffic. He's probably the best traffic catcher I've ever seen in my life. Just so damn dependable over the middle. And unfortunately, like, Nothing against Romo, nothing against Dak. He never had great quarterback play around him. Yeah, I mean, he got young Dak. He kind of got old Romo in there. And I, I'm with you. I have him number two on my list. I went number three. I went with Antonio Gates because I think that he is also a, another guy who's kind of responsible for building up that tight end position. For years, people were looking for the next Antonio Gates. They were drafting shitty college basketball players just in the hope that maybe they could turn into something. And nobody else has been able to do it. I mean, Jimmy Graham to an extent, but even he played college football for a year at Miami, then got drafted. So I think Antonio Gates, that box out move that he did in the red zone as the a little spin box, right? You, you couldn't guard it. And for the longest time, nobody could. That's why he's seventh all time in receiving touchdowns, not just for tight ends. Kind of like you were alluding to Matt, but seventh all time in receiving touchdowns. I'm right there with you, Melo. I have gates at three. I think he's interesting because he actually was someone that did have to deal with injuries. A lot of them being later on in his career when he was in his thirties, but for a guy that was as productive as he really was, and and don't get me wrong, 72, I mean, you're talking about just a ton. I think 116 touchdowns. Like, that is unbelievable when you look at the production, and, and four of those came in double-digit touchdown-type seasons. So he really changed the game of being one of those tight ends at a time where not a lot of offenses had the tight end on the team be the go-to kind of player. Yeah. And that's exactly what he was. So I look at Gates and I, it's just special. He he kind of changed what you can do as an offense. When you were in the red zone, you knew he was getting the ball and he still beat you by getting the ball in a really long career. So Gates, a, a top three lock for me. Number two, and this is where I think we're going to get some pretty good debate in here. This is where I have oh, yeah. Rob Gronkowski. And I, I know Melo's going to say longevity matters, and it absolutely does. But we all consider Barry Sanders to be one of the best running backs ever. We all consider Jim Brown to be the best running back ever. So longevity, I mean, the dude played eight years and, and battled through some amazing injuries to be, I think, the best of the this era of tight end, he's just, I mean, he was unstoppable. And he did it while the last couple of years, hey, he looked like a left tackle. He was not moving at peak athleticism because of the injuries. Yes, you could point to it and say he had the greatest quarterback of all time throwing him the ball. That obviously helps. But I think everyone on this list had competent quarterback play. You know, Antonio Gates has had Phillip Rivers, who is amazing. Shannon Sharp had John Elway. Witten maybe held back a little bit by those guys. But with Gronk, I don't think you can ignore the talent also a great blocker and he does not get enough credit for that when you look at, at how impactful he was especially early in his career as a blocker for the Patriots while they had that other tight end out running routes like is very very important the Patriots would not be the Patriots without Gronk that's my case for him and I, I did leave him off my list. I do think that he's a guy that gets a little bit overrated when you talk about longevity of his career. Like, he came into the league and, and was crazy. Like, the first year, he, he was pretty good. He had, like, 42 catches. And then that second year, he blows up. 90 catches, 17 touchdowns. Looked impossible to guard. But then he never really put up those numbers again. And I know that he was a big threat over the middle. I don't know that he really took the top off the defense with, like, running the seam. I do think that he's overrated. That's why I left him off my list. Very good tight end. I think his personality really helped, too, that he was just this big meathead who would run people over. He's like Jeremy Shockey. People loved watching him because he ran hard and he could run people over. Very good tight end. And obviously, Gronk is better than that. But I went with Jason Witten, number two, on my list. I left off Gronk. Connor, maybe you can tell me why I'm, why I'm wrong. Well, number two for me is Tony Gonzalez. And I think oh. when you look at... If you're playing the longevity game here, for me, this is the guy. 270 games. Gronk played 155 less than that, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. 
So you talk about longevity. I'm not going to call him a compiler because he's not. He's a phenomenal player. Incredible, incredible numbers. Averaged over 11 yards per catch. Just was the, you know, really such a reliable go-to guy year after year. A lot of people are not going to be happy. I don't have him as number one. Gonzalez, a phenomenal player. Some would say the best of all time. I think he's the second best of all time. Well, well, well. So Connor is clearly (laughs) still drunk (laughs) because he doesn't have Tony G number one on his list. That's I have Tony G number one, and this is not homerism because I would have put Britt Jones there because that's my favorite tight end of all time. Uh, Throwback to the Niners. I I think like Gonzalez changed the position forever, in my opinion. Like you guys talking about like, oh, the former basketball player. That was Tony G. Dude, he was basketball player at Cal. He was a first round pick uh, by the Chiefs, had an amazing career there. Leaves as a free agent when he's 33, goes to the Falcons and still is good arguably got better and he he was perfect to me and and I, I think you can say like oh Gronk was a better blocker or Ozzie Newsom was a better blocker but I think for all around tight end play it is Tony Gonzalez and I'll I'll add this note it's unfortunate that Gronk couldn't stay healthy because I think if he could have played for 17 years like Tony G did then we would be talking about him as the greatest tight end of all time but the fact that he was only able to play a short amount of time I, I do think it hurts him overall it's almost like the Aaron Rodgers debate. Like you can't debate Aaron Rodgers has all the tools. And so did Gronk. Like the speed, the height, the strength that he had was ridiculous. But for me, I don't even think that it's in question. It's got to be Tony Gonzalez. And I know that everybody's going to say, well, Melo is a Chiefs fan. Well, fun fact about me, I used to hate the Kansas City Chiefs. And until about a year ago, I didn't even like them. So you can't even tell me that. I remember being in high school, they hung up a poster of Tony Gonzalez, and it said you needed to drink more milk. I drew on that poster of Tony (laughs) Gonzalez. I didn't like him. I didn't like the Kansas City Chiefs. His quarterbacks always sucked, but he's the greatest tight end of all time. His quarterbacks did always suck. You got to say that. Uh, Connor, do you want to make a case for your number one now that we've done this to you? Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end of all time. And if I have to make the argument, let's let it rip. Gronk is a, is probably the best blocking tight end that can actually be effective in the passing game. The way he was that I've ever seen. He was a sixth offensive lineman. He did everything. The Patriots asked of him in that aspect. He won three more super bowls than Tony Gonzalez. He did play in 155 less games. Cough Tom Brady. <laughs> he had two two more double-digit touchdown seasons than Tony Gonzalez. He averaged over 15 yards per catch. Tony averaged a little over 11. So I just look at this, and I know the stats are what they are because of how much less Gronk played. But I could tell you as a Jets fan, I've never seen someone dominate at the tight end position the way Rob Gronkowski has, whether it was before the catch whether it was after the catch, whether it was in the red zone or whether the ball wasn't even wasn't even going his way as a blocker. The things he could do when he was at his best and there was five seasons there where, I mean, he really was. You're talking about a 17 touchdown season over 1,300 yards, a 12 touchdown season over 1,100 yards, really the same thing the next year. I just, I've never seen anyone like him and Tony was amazing but just purely what I saw on the field, Gronk is the best tight end to ever play the game. Connor has PTSD as a Jets fan, basically is what this amounts to. It's like, man, that motherfucker tore us up twice a year. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. And I think it'll be one thing that'll be fun to watch. What does Brady look like without Gronk this year? Because the only times that Brady looked human in the past four or five years was when Gronk was out. So that is going to be something to watch. So this conversation could even continue to change when we see what Brady looks like without his go-to guy. You know what I'm going to say? Tweet us, leave that review. Let us know who's missing. I expect every Baltimore Ravens fan in the world to let us know that Ozzie Newsome was not on this list. I'm here for it. Let us hear it. We'll be back right after this with your draft on draft questions. Five draft on draft questions for you. It's just a five kind of night. I like it. It's a good number. Jake Rummy, what non-power five teams, see, I told you so, like UCF or Notre Dame last season, do you believe have the best chance to possibly qualify for the college football playoff this season? Can I just be like a grump and say none of them? Yeah, I think it's not going to happen. If it were going to happen, it would have to be one of these two schools. Because even if you take a, a team like Houston, who I love their head coach, and I think they're going to have a really good year, 
I don't think they have the name recognition for the playoff committee to be like, all right, let's let these guys have a chance. They could run the table. They could kill Oklahoma week one, and I still don't think they would let them in. If Notre Dame does it, they are a shoo-in. They will get in every time against almost anybody else. An SEC school, a Pac-12 school, they're going to let Notre Dame in. I think UCF eventually, if they do keep running the table and playing the way they are, someday maybe they're going to give them a chance. But even if you look, Houston would be my pick here. I don't think there's any way possible they can get into the playoff. Seeing as Jake has as, you know, best chance, I, I'm with you. I do think the best chance is, you know, Notre Dame. I think when you look at them, they recruit high-end, top-end talent. They have a good coaching staff, on and on and on. I don't think they'll make the playoff. I don't even know if they'll finish as a top-10 team this year. But to truly answer who should have the best odds, I think it should be them. Yeah, and I like you said, Houston would be my pick if you want the name of a team. I wish it would be Army, though. I know oh, it will yeah. never happen anymore, but Army is a good fucking team. They almost team. beat Oklahoma last right. year. They like, won like 11 games last year, right. didn't they, or 10? I would love to see Army have to play Alabama and be like, all right, good luck stopping the triple option because we're not going to let you guys run the ball. Yeah, I, it would be nice, and I would root for Army. It would never happen. They would get destroyed. I would root for but, Army against any team but Texas. Ooh, I probably would too. I just There's something about them. It's the patriotism in me. Yeah. All right. Fun Bru- fact, Army was my actual local team growing oh, up. Oh, that's, that's right. True. Like if if I wanted to go to a college football game, Army was the closest school to go to. So, so can I I'm not a college, you know I'm not I don't have a team. Like I just cover I think college you just football. Found one. I think I'm going to have to be an Army fan. Please <laughs> do, like, please. Go back to being my 4-year-old self. Please do. Fuck it. Let's do it. Cuz like, that, that week like Army Navy week, I like hate hate any I, I tried to join the navy in high school and then i got someone pregnant like i hate navy now you know it's like because so, our dad was in the army so i like i have to go army that's where it got hung up At, as a kid i would go to army games and since they were the local team i liked army but my grandfather who i was closer with than anyone was in the navy and that shit like you know that you guys know it very well that is serious like oh, yeah. you are not allowed you are not allowed to like the other team. If you have a relative that served, that shit gets so serious. I was like walking on eggshells all the time yeah. I don't know, when I liked army. I don't know if you had like the veterans day assembly that up there in New York, like we do here, Connor, but they would always bring in old veterans to tell like when they served and any war stories that they had. Yep. I remember one year they let a guy speak and he was, um, he was from the Navy and he was speaking. And at the end of it, he said, Oh, by the way, you know, go Navy, be army or, or whatever it is that they say. And I thought there was going to be a fight between two <laughs> veterans. Like this other old man stands up and he's like, no, go army, beat Navy. And like, they started getting heated with each other. The principal serious. had to like separate these two old men who were going to fight amazing. over army versus Navy. It is very serious. I think it's, I honestly do think it's the best rivalry. We need to revisit that as the top five. Uh, now, that, especially now that Connor's on the Friday shows, we can reuse a lot of our top fives. Yeah, so get got a third party in a, there. A three man. Let's go. All right, Brennan Prukup. I butchered that. My bad, dude. <laughs> Pro- which, pro- pro- which prospect in the 2020 class could most likely succeed in any of the other four major sports basketball, baseball, hockey? Oh, man. Prospects. I mean, I, mean, Jerry I think Judy. I need a. Yeah. Jerry yeah. Judy. Okay. Just his athleticism and what he does with his body control. You look at, I mean, even guys like Ruggs and Waddle and the burners that they have at speed. But I think Jerry Judy's athleticism plays anywhere. He would be a great center fielder. Yeah. I mean, he might not be able to hit the ball, but I mean, neither can Billy Hamilton and he's still playing. <laughs> That's true. Or Kyler Murray. <laughs> oh, people yeah. forget that. People forget that he could not hit. Yeah, that that was important. Yeah, I really think Dylan Moses would translate just because he's so athletic and so strong as well. Probably a hockey player. If I knew anything about hockey, I could support you. Man, I'm still mad about PK Subban being traded, so I want to get into it. Riley. Well, Riley Loveless. Riley Loveless. No love for Matt and his Nashville Preds right now. (laughs) If you could have any team in NFL history beyond hard knocks, who are you choosing? So I actually think this is incredibly obvious, but I'm so much older than you guys that I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it's the 1993 Dallas Cowboys or uh, 95. It's 93 that. or 95. When they had Dion, not when the they had he so 95. So when they had Dion, Dion, Michael Irvin, uh, Charles Nate Haley, Newton. Nate. Oh Newton. my God. Charles Haley. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. And I will remind you, if you see me out in public and you want to hear the Charles Haley story, yes. ask me, I'll tell you, but I cannot tell you on the podcast. It's it's that team would be amazing. 
Yeah, I and I agree with you too. I think the other one that I would pick, uh, maybe like two thousand Ravens. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Imagine that. if they were there <laughs> for the Ray say. Lewis event. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, the two thousand Ravens has to be one. I think the year I the mean, Patriots they had so much talent went undefeated would be really cool too. But it would also be cool to watch them lose to see the behind the scenes of them losing the Super Bowl, knowing they could have been complete like what eighteen and zero. That, like, that would have been be amazing. like one of the biggest sports sorry. heartbreaks of all time because they really looked like they were going to go undefeated. All they had to do were beat the Giants and everybody thought they would and they didn't. Yeah, the Giants didn't even look that good that year. No, they, like, do they ever? Another underrated one is uh, when the Broncos won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning just to see oh, yeah. all, the, all the drama with how his arm was basically escaping him. He had really nothing left in the tank. Yeah, I think that would be you know a lot of drama and really good good TV. The second Super Bowl with John Elway, I think, would be a good one. Was that the Terrell Davis migraines? Yeah, I think that would be a good one too. Just because I think a lot of people in that locker room knew he was about to ride off into the sunset. So like winning uh, one for Elway. Yeah, yeah. Homer pick, but the Super Bowl Jets just because of Joe Namath. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that would be wild, just yeah. incredibly that wild. man. He needs to come on stick to football. He's our kind of guy. Put him atop our wish list. We got like, I don't know if we want to identify him as our kind of guy <laughs> after the whole Susie Colbert thing. Yeah, maybe. But I, I get where he's on going. the comeback trail right now. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't drink anymore. That's good. That's maybe good. he's not our kind of guy. Yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> he would start drinking again after doing the show. Woody Carr has a question. When it's all said and done, rank these quarterback classes. 2004. So Eli Rivers, Big Ben. 2017, you have Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson, and 2018, which would be Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen. I mean, it's hard to do because the two of them are so recent. Yeah. Three of them are going to be, from 2004, will be Hall of Famers. Well, we still don't know what the other group's going to be. They, it could all fall off. I'm going to take 2004. As the number one, I yeah. think that's the clear pick. There's number, four Super Bowl rings in there already. Yeah, I mean, and maybe Phil Rivers gets one this year. It has to be 2004. Ask us in 13 I'll say this about, it has to be 2004, but I'll say this about 2017. I'm very curious to see how many MVP trophies Mahomes and Watson combined for. I think Watson's got one in him. I really do. I do too. Yeah. If he could just get a fucking offensive line. Yeah, get some fucking help. And you know Pat has, Pat will have a room full. And Trubisky got a lot better last year. He's not an MVP kind of player, but he's a good player. I think he could take a jump. I'll ride 04. Yeah, he could take a jump this year and be up there in that kind of MVP talk with Watson and Mahomes. Connor, if you you were given a blank slate right now and somebody said the Jets could trade straight up Darnold for Trubisky, who would you take? Oh, Darnold. Really? Okay. Because I think he throws better on when improvising. Like, I saw it last year where I'm like... Yeah, that's true. Okay. Now I would take I would take Watson. Trubisky over doesn't turn the ball close. over like Darnold does, but it's you're right. He's no. just robotic almost. I like the I, I like the aspect of Sam's game where he can he can win you the game. He will lose you the game, but you look at Sam and he's got that side and it's not as good, but that side that Pat and Watson have where he just makes things happen entirely on his own. Texas so, game. I mean, he ran for his life. Yeah. Yeah, so, right. man, it's, you know, and I like Mitch. I hope, I hope there's a lot of good co- young quarterbacks in the league right now. That's what's fun about that question. Last question from our guy, Jared Brown. And we want to wish you uh, congratulations and the best of luck. Jared's getting married Saturday. And his question a great is, decision, Jared, he's getting married Saturday and he knows that Mello and I are pros and, and that's tongue in cheek. What are some tips for day of enjoyment? So I'm going to start this off. Mello, I'll give you a second to think Connor, feel free to jump in Wear running shoes. Lace those puppies up and sprint as far away from that church as you can. We have a hideout here in Missouri. Yeah, seriously, though, I mean, Jordan seems lovely. I wish you guys the best of luck. But <laughs> I would go like an ASIC, something that could get you off-road if you need to. I wouldn't go Nike. You know, they fall New apart. Balance. New Balance would be ones. fine. All yeah. tread. Right. Maybe have a bike hidden <laughs> right. behind the church if you need to, just in case. Just in case. Maybe something to Wait, I want to ask you guys. Did you enjoy your wedding day? No, nope. not at all. So that, it, a lot of people I talk to do not. If generally. I could give any advice to somebody that's getting married, and it's probably a little too late here for Jared, but if you are engaged or you're going to be getting married soon, do not spend money on your wedding. Amen. It is the most ridiculous 
event you will ever have in your life. You spend all this money on it, and then all you have to do, you get pulled and pushed everywhere. Oh, I have to say hi to this person. Now I have to go do this. Now I have to eat some cake. Now I'm supposed to do this dance, but I'm tired. I haven't got to eat yet. I don't get to drink because I have all these people that want to talk to me. It is one of the worst events I've ever been through. That's not just me and my marriage bias. Like that day fucking sucked. I will say, I agree. And I, I think I've told Jared this, like I'm a big fan of get everything done before, take the pictures before, do everything before. And like Melo said, have a small, it doesn't be a small wedding, but don't waste a lot of money. Spend your money on your honeymoon. Yes. Like do not spend $20,000 on a wedding. That is so stupid. Like you spend so much money on that wedding dress. And then the, you know, the tuxedos for your groomsmen and the dresses for your bridesmaids. Like it's all worthless. You really for don't show. even need them. Like have a best man. He doesn't need to have a tux on and stand up there with you. There's so many things that you could cut out and do over, which I would, I would never do over. But if I, but I should could. like, I should be a wedding planner. Yeah, should, like, let yeah. me cut out the nonsense and the fucking the shit you don't. I'm gonna need. save you money. Yeah, yeah. Bargain <laughs> wedding with Melo. You can pay I like me that more. a lot. Give me five like, grand. I'll throw you a party. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. wow. The best wedding you'll have for five grand. I'll guarantee Yellow. it. And guarantee that's what it. I would do. I honestly would. I would just, just throw a party. Side segment. Like get Honey Fire to cater or get Melo to grill. Or like right and just throw a party. That's yeah, the way to do I'll it. Cook the food too. Day I'll do of, DJ, I'll do right. food, oh, yeah, everything. That's true. Day of tips of enjoyment. What we did for Mellow's uh, pre-wedding was actually pretty great because we had to take all the pictures and stuff. So it was a group of us guys together. Like, we're all best friends. We got a bottle of, I think, Crown Royal Black, mm-hmm. and that's all you were allowed to drink. Like you, And then I think we ended up with beers. But we went through two bottles of Crown Royal Black just passing it around, sipping it all day. I think we had some cigars. Like, we were toasty. I don't remember your ex-wife walking down the aisle. I don't either. And take that into account, because Matt just said how great my pre-wedding was, and I told you it was one of the worst fucking days of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it was it was good. I just have fun with it. Don't, like, don't I be stressed too. I, I do believe we started off with, like, a breakfast with uh, some of my groomsmen and, like, our parents, and we did that, and that was cool. And then we got to the church, we, did, we started drinking, and I would recommend it. Yeah. Like, even if your bride might get a little pissed off if she hears you've been drinking, but she's going to be pissed off for a long time anyway. for a lot of things. Like, enjoy your day, too, and I would drink a little bit. Yeah, I would, too. The lead-up is just—the lead-up's— cr- So I'm finally going to actual friend weddings, not just family weddings yep. or, you know, friends that are older. These are, like, people I went to college with or grew up with. And, man, it is—don't get me wrong, it's a good time, but I'm finally starting to be in some of them. I mean, it is taking a lot of money out of the savings account. I'll say that right now. Like, I had to rent a tux for yeah, uh, two hundred and sixty bucks Whoa. recently, and like, and like, I don't care. Like, I'm honored to be in the wedding, and I know I have to spend a lot of money, whether it's the tux, the gift. But this is one where it's like tux price, mm-hmm. very very far away destination bachelor party with a ton of expenses, and then I have to travel for the wedding, and it's like. When you're looking at it and you're like, man, I'm out a couple grand from one when yeah. you got like five a year, dude, these things are, it's crazy. And like, I'm all, I'm not trying to be like a fun runer. I like to go out. I like to get fucked up and have fun. And I don't need to spend a couple grand to do it all the time. It's just, it's wild. It's wild. Now I, I'll say this when that day comes, I will probably have a simple bachelor party for everyone to go to and a wedding that's somewhat, now you guys live far away. But still, you know what I mean? Like, for that serves the majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's how it should be. Just get married in Japan. It's central. I want my friends there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That's the important part. Like, it should be a celebration of your relationship, not a let me do this show for everybody else so they can see it. And because this is what society says I need at my wedding. That's what it's all about. Fuck it's all the about garter the toss picks. and all the other bullshit. You right? don't need it. It's it's ridiculous. I even think like the first day. Go to the tailgate a, tour instead, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we will. Melo is ordained. He'll marry you on the that tailgate tour. 100 You want to have your bachelor party at the tailgate tour? Fuck, you're, you're set up. <laughs> right. Paid for. You get free beer. It's I'll great. do your wedding at the tailgate tour. I will say now that I got a couple marriages in, I kind of think like the, you know, like the, this, you know, spectacle of it all. It's like, I don't really care anymore. What's two, what's three, what's five. Like, I just want to have so many more bachelor parties before I get old. Yeah, those are the best part. Like yeah. it, that and yeah. the honeymoon. That's fair. I, That's fair. It's worth it. A, Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I had a blast on the honeymoon as well. But again, should have taken and spent less money on the wedding, more money on the bachelor party, and 
on the honeymoon. I should have taken you guys on my honeymoon. That would have Words saved me a wisdom. lot of problems. All right. Well, you might have another chance. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jim. Uh, <laughs> tailgate tour, nine weeks of it. We'll see. We'll, yeah. Let's make it through that Not first. if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Uh, she doesn't listen anymore. We're fine. All right. That's our show. Oh, it got off the man. rails here Ooh. at the end, but it's do great to have her. Do yeah. not. Do not, guys. <laughs> Shh. God, this stays between us friends. Um, Connor comes back, show goes off the rails. People always thought it was Mello's fault. It's actually Connor. No way. No way. It's all me. <laughs> we should probably mention the fact that I'm really pa- playing through some pain here today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mello got bit by a spider. It's uh, so fun bad. fact, he is not Spider-Man, but his whole uh, flank is <laughs> swollen. Like, I'm going to make Wait, him go what? to the hospital. I yeah. Got- so today you got is, bit by a spider yeah, Thursday night, Friday for our listeners on Tuesday night. I woke up in the middle of the night because I felt something bite me. And so I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I went back to sleep. No big deal. Wake up the next morning and like my side is red, bright red. And I'm like, eh, fuck it. I'll, I'll let it do its thing. My immune system's going to take care of it. It still has not. And I finally let Matt look at it because it's in a weird spot of my body. And then he's like, yeah, you need to go to the doctor. And we are very anti-doctor people. But I think I'm going to have to actually finally break down and do it. Like while you're listening to this podcast, I'm probably sitting in an urgent care. They're probably draining your cysts. (laughs) Is it swelling? Oh, yeah. It's hot. I probably have staph. Oh, God. How big? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> eight the inches. Last time I looked at it, what? It's probably a solid eight inches long, <laughs> four inches wide. Hopefully, it didn't have like venom. <laughs> Other than that, I'm fine. I, yeah, I'm not sucking the venom out. It ain't happening. I know that. You could do that in Red Dead. Yeah, and you get exactly. It's like he got bit. He got bit by a snake. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Earn some honor points. E- eat some ginseng. Yeah. You'll be fine. Holy shit, dude! That's freaking a spider bite. It's never. I always forget like. Yeah, no, I would hope not. That's pretty rare, really rare. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we got to close this thing out. <laughs> we get Miller to, yeah, get to the doctor. Yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be back uh, Monday morning. Hopefully, all three of us, God willing, knock on wood. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun things to talk about. Don't forget, tweet us about those tight ends. Tweet us about bachelor parties <laughs> or weddings. And yeah, we're now we're just gonna get pictures of like Ariana Grande in our mentions, which I'm not gonna be mad about. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys Monday morning. <laughs>